Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of the saints. I thank you for the gift of St. John of the Cross and of the Ascent of Mount Carmel. Lord, I ask that you give me wisdom and insight. Lord, help me to be able to uh, truly get a sense of um, of uh, enlightenment, inspiration from your Holy Spirit, that I might speak well, that I might help draw others into contact with this great riches, the great riches that are available here, that we'd be blessed by them. Lord, that we'd be blessed by St. John. And say, St. John of the Cross, please pray for us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So at the beginning of the year, don't don't forget it's not too late. Uh, pick a saint, or a better way of saying it is, what saint has picked you? And what the best way of saying it at all is, what, what saint has God connected you with in this year? Is there a saint that the Lord is connecting you to in this moment? That would be really cool. That's something worth praying about. And so I recommended you uh, go and use that saint's generator, uh, that simple saint generator uh, website. Well, we did it in our family meeting uh, or before family prayer. And it was interesting because I had to help the kids recognize that grace builds on nature. Grace builds on nature. Uh, that's a theological axiom. And when I say grace builds on nature, it's the, it, what I mean by that is this, is that when God is engaged in our lives, when God is at work in our lives, he, he's at work in lives that he himself is the creator of. So he's the creator of all life. He's the creator of the situations and, and, and the circumstances that we're in. The, the Lord is creator. And um, when he then moves and operates in accord with a supernatural intervention— when he introduces grace, he does so in a way that builds on human nature. So um, an example that where this applies here is that you could go to the Saints Generator website, and it's, it says here, it says pick a saint, and, and you click the button, and then a, a name appears. And here's the thing. You don't have to pray before you do that action. And guess what? A name will still appear. <laughs> um, you don't have to uh, like gather around and, and formally ritualize this sense of crying out to God and saying, Lord, please bring us, each of us, the saint that you have held in store for us in this year. And then and only then will the button become active. No, anybody can go to that page, click on the button and generate a name. So... If that's true, it, that it's automatic, right, that it's going to happen anyways, well then isn't it a little bit corny? Isn't it a little bit forced? Isn't it a little bit like artificial to say that somehow God has chosen this saint? Isn't it just the algorithm randomly or a randomizer uh, had it pop onto this particular name? If you want to start and stop at that human level, you have the freedom to do that. However, in my experience, and this isn't just me making stuff up, but in my own experience of walking with the Lord and using the, um, the, the great authorities of St. Augustine and of St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, they will both reference the idea of what we would particularly call Bible bingo, where you open up the passage and you um, and you put your finger down on the on the scripture, and somehow is that God that chose that, or is that you just randomly choosing that? And um, both Augustine and Aquinas address this, um, and they do it in relationship to something that you see in the Old Testament called the casting of lots, that God can be at work in it. You don't have to, you're not trying to control God, but when you surrender it into God's hands, God can use it, even something that at a human level appears automatic. So that's how we approach this idea of the saint generator, picking a saint for the 2022, is you can keep it at the human level if you want to and just say, well, I'm going to randomly pick one and then go study and just see what comes of it. Maybe I'll get inspired along the way. Or you can make room for God 
And you can say, Lord, take this all too human process. Take this all too human, automatic, artificial process. And Lord, get involved in it. Get involved in it, Lord. We invite you. We give you permission. In fact, we ask, seek, and knock that trusting that you have something in store for us in 2022, that you, in fact, would use something even like this website to make known who it is you're drawing us to be near to, drawing us to be in relationship with. And so that's how I approached it. And um, it, it takes a while to get that uh, that way of looking at things. Um, in fact, uh, there is a like there's a more profound level where that's also at work. So I'll I'll, I'll share about it like this. So in it, literally in my life unfolding right now in one of my kids' situations, is a challenging uh, situation they're facing at school. And um, my approach has been to say, Carrie, we need to be praying for this situation. Carrie, we need to, are you praying as the mother that God has given authority in this child's life to pray blessings down upon that child and upon that school and upon that situation? And I have been doing that. And I've been engaging with that kid to say the same thing. Look, are you praying to the Lord for favor? Are you praying to the Lord for blessings upon this situation? And again, at a human level, you could say, well, the folks that are going to make the decision, they've got all the information, and they're going to make their decision. And then based on that, uh, you can you can say, well, thank you, Lord, for what happened. But I am of the mindset that says, one of the things that can influence what happens, how it happens, the things that unfold in that circumstance are, in fact, the prayers that we pray. And so don't doubt the power and importance of your prayers to help, in fact, foster uh, a blessed outcome, even in those things that appear already decided, completely out of your hands, um, and can appear somewhat artificial. No, give God a chance to be involved. Give God a chance by bringing to him, to, to use the, the title of the book I quoted from yesterday, to make a trustful surrender to divine providence. Come what may, Lord, I put it all in your hands, myself all that I am, all that I have, all that I'm facing, all of my loved ones, and the details of these particular situations, these trials or difficulties, Lord, we place them all in your hands, and we invite you to exercise your lordship and your saving power over them. And watch what God will do. Trust and watch what God will do. Okay, one other introductory comment about this Ascent of Mount Carmel, is that St. John of the Cross is going to take his readers, and, and therefore us, on this journey higher, this ascent, this, this journey to a place where we are leaving behind the things of the earth, the things of the, that are fallen, the world, the flesh, and the devil, these different appetites and desires that enslave us, one of the images St. John of the Cross uses is that a bird that is tied to the ground with a chain is just as much captive as the bird that is tied to the ground by the tenderest thread and unable to free itself. Both are enslaved by these things that have chained them to the earth. And St. John of the Cross um, in this ascent of Mount Carmel, wants to purge, bring us onto a path of purging, of depriving oxygen to these desires so that the Lord, the desire we have for union with the Lord, will become more and more prominent. Well, that means we've got to pray. That means we, we actually have to take time to pray. And one of the things that has become, um, I don't know, again, this is sort of a humbling exposure to the ways that I fall short in my own life, is 
my getting up and praying the Office of Readings. And so when I get up and pray in the morning, uh, the Office of Readings, I pray the Invitatory Psalm. And the Invitatory Psalm is Psalm 95. There are a couple of others, but the the, the typical one, the, the standard, is to pray Psalm 95, which is a call to praise God. And I'm going to read a couple of the stanzas uh, in, in the time that I have that remains before, this, before we reach this first break. But what has happened in the last three days since I've entered into this new year, so since Sunday, really, is that I'm finding that it's taking me almost the entire hour of prayer to pray Psalm 95. That I, I can't even get beyond this invitatory psalm, the psalm that invites me to enter into the Liturgy of the Hours, the first of which is the Office of Readings. But what happens is, as I end up praying, come let us, this is the Psalm 95, come let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. The Lord is God, the mighty God, the great King over all the gods. I'll stop there. Um, and what happens is, as I get that far, and I realize that for the most part, I was just saying the words, and my mind was distracted. And I better start over again. So I go back to the beginning. And I say, okay, now, Tom, do it a little more slowly. Pay more attention. Right? Be aware that uh, you, are, uh, you are in this place where you are losing your focus and getting distracted. And I start in again. And before you know it, I've reached the end of the psalm, and I realize I did it again. I just you know, blazed through it and said the words, but I wasn't praying. I wasn't praying this invitatory psalm. So I, what honestly, what I would have typically done or more customarily done is just moved on and just said, well, that's sort of like the first pancake <laughs> of my prayer time. So in that first pancake, it didn't come out that good. But you know what? There are other pancakes to come. Still lots of batter left. Don't get hung up on it. Move on and start praying the Office of Readings because you're kind of getting warmed up. Well, I didn't let myself do that this time. So I'm going to go back to the beginning and I'm going to prayerfully pray this psalm. And I, I kid you not, time after time after time over the course of the majority of my prayer time over each of the last days, I find myself going back to the beginning and starting over because of the distractions. And distractions, it's an interesting thing. So if you read the spiritual writers in our tradition about distractions, on the one hand, they'll say, look, Distractions are like flies that buzz around you, and they're kind of disturbing your attention and your focus, and what do you want to just swat them away? And the mistake, spiritual writers say, would be to go get a fly swatter. This is my metaphor. Go get a fly swatter and go track that thing down and smash it, and then come back, put the fly swatter down, and then come back and focus. Why? Because another fly is going to come, and then another one, and another one. And so... What the, what the wisdom of our tradition says is when you become aware of that buzzing fly that's distracting you, just swat it away and then come back to the Lord in all humility and say, Lord, look at me. This is who I am. I'm distracted right now. And I thank you, Lord, that this distraction has caused me to put my focus back on you. And then it happens again and it happens again. And you can even say to the Lord, Lord, if this is all that's going to happen in my prayer time, my prayer time is yours. Whatever you want from me, I say yes. And, and that's, that's the standard wisdom. There's another bit of wisdom, though, and it comes in the Catechism of the Catholic Church on the drama of prayer in that section, because it mentions distractions. And it says that not all distractions are, um, are without blame. That we, in fact 
may find ourselves being weak in our ability to attend to prayer because of our sinful condition, because we've given way to the flesh. And now we are weak when it comes to the things of the Spirit, kind of like the apostles who fell asleep in the garden. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. Today I am uh, leading up to and going to dive in on the Ascent of Mount Carmel by St. John of the Cross, the doctor of prayer, the the, uh, doctor of the church that, you know, sometimes you have a, um, uh, a title connected with that. Like you probably know that St. Thomas Aquinas is the angelic doctor. Saint, uh, you might not know, Saint Bonaventure is the seraphic doctor. Um, and so you have Saint John of the Cross, the doctor of prayer. Okay, so Saint John of the Cross in this book on the ascent of Mount Carmel is one who wants to quiet the desires of the flesh so that the desire of the spirit can be uh, dominant, predominate, can lead us to uh, union with the Lord. That's where we're headed, union with the Lord. And so the last thing that I had shared yesterday was what are these desires of the flesh that are being purged in a dark night? Like as the Lord is going to lead us deeper into prayer, it's the Lord who wills for us to go deeper into prayer. There are desires that need to be deprived of air. They need to to shrivel and die. Um, They need to be purged. And that's what a dark night is. Um, It's when the light of faith, where we sense and see God's presence and his handy, we see him at work in, in the circumstances and situations of our lives. We see him in the handiwork of creation. We sense his presence within us. In all of these ways, there's this sense of growing as a child of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who accompanies me day to day. Well, then things get dark. I think all of the sense of God's presence, the sense of con- his consoling presence, the sense of his power at work in our lives, it's all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb goes off. And all of a sudden, it's obscure. Where is God in this creation? How is God present in the things that are unfolding in my life right now? And I go within and it's dry. It's a dry desert, a dry, a dry parched land. It's not this consoling balm of God's healing anointing. No, that, that dries up. And all of a sudden it's just darkness. And how, what are we to understand of that darkness? Well, that's what the Ascent of Mount Carmel is helping us to understand is how the Lord brings us on that journey, why the, the, the dark night occurs at the dark night of the senses and then of the spirit occurs in us along the journey. And what is it that is being uh, purged? Well, he begins uh, in chapter one by saying that the dark night is a privation, a, a depriving, and purgation, a purging, a cleansing, a purification of all sensible appetites, sensible appetites, uh, as compared to spiritual appetites. So the sensible appetites are for the external things of the world. What, what are the, the appetites? What, what kind of hunger, what kind of desires do we have for the external things that are in this world? When he says external, he means not in, in, in within your spirit, not within inside your, your heart in the, in the depth dimension of who you are. But around you, it's obvious, right? It's power, it's fame, it's money. I talked about that yesterday. I won't go further into it. But the more we have, the more we want. It's this insatiable desire that makes that, that does what? That desire urges us to take action. We start shaping our lives around getting more money, more power, more fame. The second is the delights of the flesh. The delights of the flesh. Think delicacies. Think those things that we find satisfying when it comes to our bodily senses. So whether that is um, uh, senses of, of touch, so that really soft pillow and blanket and mattress, whether it, the soft chair we're sitting in, whether it's the comfort and ease 
that our bodies enjoy so much, whether it's the, the comforting, beautiful sounds and sights and smells uh, and tastes that we have a desire for. So when he's talking about the delights of the flesh, he's talking about comfort, ease, satisfying desires. Those are the things that are going to need to be purged. Those are the things that need to be deprived. And then lastly, the gratifications of the will. The gratifications of the will. When is When am I, my will, gratified? Well, when I'm acknowledged, when I am um, lifted up, when I am uh, applauded, when I um, get, my way gets done, um, when the, the good things that are happening to others uh, make me feel sad because I'm envious or jealous for what they have or covetous of, of, the, of the things and relationships that are part of their lives, right? On and on, right? You can think of the, the deadly sins that are traced back to the will. Those are things that need to die. And so all of this deprivation is wrought in the purgation of sense, the purgation of sense, the, those senses, the five senses. That is why the poem acclaims that the soul of um, the soul departs, departed when the house was stilled, for the appetites of the sensory part were stilled and asleep in the soul, and the soul was stilled in them. Meaning that the deeper desires that are truly part of our lives, those are the desires that come to the forefront. Those are the desires that shape and mold how it is we're actually living. So uh, today on the program, I'm going to dig into um, these desires, these appetites, um, and uh, by following what St. John of the Cross has to say. Now, he starts in his introduction with something that is really quite shocking in the prologue. Um, So he says this, that um, the, uh, he's going to explain the dark night through which a soul journeys toward that divine light of perfect union with God. Okay, so that's what the book is all about. That God wants to walk with a soul towards perfect union with him, which is achieved in so uh, far as possible in this life through love. Okay, so, so far so good. Well, what are we thinking? Okay, God is going to lovingly draw me to himself, lovingly draw me into that deeper intimacy with him. Bring it on, Lord. Well, no, that drawing of me towards him is going to pull me away from other things. And what does that look like? What is that like? Well, listen to what he says next. He says, the darknesses and trials, spiritual and temporal, that fortunate souls ordinary, ordinarily encounter on their way to the high state of perfection are so numerous and profound that human knowledge cannot understand them adequately. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> the darknesses and trials, both spiritual and temporal, meaning of life on earth in time, of ordinary day-to-day things, that fortunate souls ordinarily encounter on their way to the high state of perfection are so numerous and profound that human science is the word he used, but that means knowledge here. Human knowledge cannot understand them adequately. So, do you desire union with God? Do you, are you sensing the pull, the tug of the love of the Lord? coming to you? Well, guess what you should expect? Trials, darknesses of not not just spiritual things, and I say just, but also temporal things. Meaning, like, how about your reputation? How about your finances? How about your relationships with those that are nearest and dearest to you? How about the tribulations and difficulties that are disturbing the comfortable, peaceful life? Oh my goodness, look at this. What is happening in the calamities of the world? It seems to me that the calamities, the calamity that is hitting this world right now is actually 
a powerful means potentially of purifying us of what? Of those things that we cling to in this world that make us feel like, you know what? This external world is really, really quite good. The fame, the power, the money. Often that is associated with jobs. If I have a certain job that brings in a certain income, it's going to enable a certain lifestyle. It's going to give me a certain influence. The higher I go in that position, it gives me more power. I get more acknowledgement. If I'm successful at it, I get a degree of, of, uh, of notice or fame. And all of a sudden, all of those things start combining together to be a really, really good life. And then all of a sudden, COVID comes along. And COVID starts impressing mandates upon our lives that say, if you don't get in line, you're going to lose your position. And it's like, wow, talk about a trial, a tribulation, a suffering that could lead someone from what was an enlightened path of success and achievement in their positions in their career to all of a sudden a great darkness where all of a sudden those those trails are no longer available. What am I going to do now? And it's going to introduce a deep spiritual suffering, a deep spiritual purification where I'm not going to trust in myself any longer. I don't have the ability to trust in my position, my job, my paycheck, my bank account. But then secondly is the, 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 the delights of the flesh. Well, all of a sudden now, we're not able to access restaurants. We're not able to access events. We're not able to, to enjoy some of the same things that we enjoyed before, maybe because our finances have changed, but maybe because, well, things are so shut down that our entire lifestyle is being stripped back. Wow, that's a suffering. That's a difficulty. That's a trial. That might, in fact, be a depriving, purging of desires of the flesh that are holding us back in our relationship with God. And then this calamity of how things have been unfolding in the world in the last year and a half now, almost two years, has been one where our will has been thwarted, has been resisted, has been brought under attack. All of a sudden, the way in which if we were to profess our Catholic faith with the full vibrancy in this moment in history, not so easy anymore, not so pain-free anymore. And so, once again, a trial and a difficulty, a painful thing. But the Lord very well could be using it. Oh, fortunate soul. Oh, fortunate soul. Not unfortunate soul. Not, I'm really sorry that's happening to you right now, soul. Though you could say that too. But to have this trustful surrender to divine providence, to have this sense that, you know what? I see in these calamities at a human level a divine work taking place. It's a beckoning call of love where the Lord is beckoning me to himself and he's inviting me to encounter him by letting go of the appetites, the sensory appetites for the external things of the world, for the delights of the flesh, and for the, um, uh, for the um, what's it called, the uh, gratifications of the will. The Lord loves us too much to let us stay in, those, in that situation. Okay, let's keep moving on, because that's just the first sentence, <laughs> the second sentence. First and second sentence, I didn't even finish the second sentence yet, of the ascent of Mount Carmel. So he's talking about these numerous trials that uh, human knowledge cannot understand thematically, nor does experience of them equip one to explain them. He who suffers them will know what this experience is like, but he will find himself unable to describe it. Okay, that's an important spiritual principle. The one who is suffering through these deprivings, these purgings of the dark night, where the Lord is lovingly pulling us away from these, these other things, 
The one who suffers them will know what this experience is like, but he won't be able to describe it. There's a way in which the very dark night leaves us in obscurity. We don't have that clarity. That is part of the suffering. I don't know about you, but when I think about the sufferings that I've endured in my life, most of them have not been physical. It's not like I've been tortured and, and whipped. And I, I've, I've had some physical pain and some physical ailments in my life that have been a bit of a trial and a burden. But suffering, I want to say the, the real sufferings that have reached my life have been more spiritual and relational. Um, those are the ones that have had the, the biggest association with darkness and the sense of being overwhelmed, the sense of being anxious and afraid, the sense of being desperate before God. I don't like being in those, those times, but I know what it's like. And I know that in the midst of those times, I'm asked to cry out, Abba, Father, I trust in you, and I entrust myself to you freely, completely, and forever. But it's a heavy emotional burden. It is a trial and a darkness. And I'm betting many of you can relate to this in this moment. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So today I'm reflecting on um, the Ascent of Mount Carmel, and I am slowly wading into it, but drawing upon themes that are the sort of foundational, um, uh, the foundational themes, if you will, um, in the Ascent of Mount Carmel. And um, in the beginning of this first chapter, he is talking about what is he going to lean on as it regards authority? Like what will be his source of authority to help us walk with him on this ascent? We want to get to the heights of union with God. And we want to understand how these dark nights these times of purgation and deprivation are part of the Lord's plan for us. And he says, I'm not going to rely on human knowledge and I'm not going to rely on experience because both of these things um, will fall short. He says, however, I'll use them as far as possible. I won't neglect whatever possible use I can make of them. Um, but um, I shall say, um, um, but with God's favor, what I shall make use of in my help will be sacred scripture at least in the most important matters, are those which are difficult to understand. Taking Scripture as our guide, we do not err, since the Holy Ghost speaks to us through it. So um, he will lean on the Scriptures, and that is something very common in, um, in the Middle Ages. I mean, it's very common in the, the history of the Church in terms of um, where do these great theologians look to root their teaching, and they'll call upon the scriptures. So especially here in this teaching on the spiritual journey, it could be tempting to rely upon one's own human experience and say, here's what I've experienced. Let me map that out. What John of the Cross wants to do is to subsume his own experience to the scriptures and to see the way in which the scriptures can enlighten the journey as he understands it through his study, through his own experience, and through um, the, the actual reading of scriptures and enlightenment by the Holy Spirit himself. And so he says in here, interestingly, something that um, is was common up until maybe, say, 50 years ago, uh, most Catholic authors would say, and it's this. If I should misunderstand or be mistaken on some point, whether I deduce it from scripture or not, my intention will not be to deviate from the true meaning of sacred scripture or from the doctrine of our Holy Mother, the Catholic Church. If this should happen, I submit entirely to the Church or even to anyone who judges more competently about the matter than I. So this idea of um, being completely submissive to the Catholic Church regarding the teaching. In other words, hey, I don't intend, I don't I'm not trying to sneak past you some idea that's not what the church teaches. But if any of you find anything that inadvertently got through, I, I renounce it. 
I completely renounce it and I stick entirely with the teaching of the church. And so if you see something there that you can't align to the teaching of the church, presume that, in fact, it's intended to align with the authentic interpretation of the scripture or of the teaching of the church. And um, and if you can't find it, then just know that I say I'm wrong. Just I, I'll say it in advance, I'm wrong. Um, it shouldn't have been there. So isn't that a beautiful attitude? That is not a typical attitude we find today. In fact, <clears throat> one of the, the temptations is that when someone becomes an author, they become an authority. And therefore, they, it's easy to fall into the temptation to say, I'm standing on this platform uh, of this book that I wrote, and it puts me into a position that's above those of you that are going to buy my book and benefit from it. John of the Cross takes the opposite. He's not trying to stand higher. He's trying to stand lower and be of service. And this is what he gets to in the next paragraph. <clears throat> he says, this is paragraph three, if any of you are following along in the Ascent of Mount Carmel in chapter one. He says, and by the way, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, I have a whole bunch of starred points here. I'm not going to get through them all today, even the starred points in chapter, in the, uh, in the prologue. I'm not even in chapter one. <laughs> um, but I mean, I've got like 10 more points and, and I don't have time to get through them all. But there's some rich stuff here. That's just stuff you just don't bump into in typical spirituality books. Okay. I'm not undertaking this arduous task because of any particular confidence in my own abilities. Rather, I'm confident that the Lord will help me explain this matter because it is extremely necessary to so many souls. Even though these souls have begun to walk along the road of virtue and our Lord desires to place them in the dark night so they may move on to the divine union, they do not always advance. Not striking. He's saying that the reason why this book is so necessary is that you have, let's call them, you know, good souls, right? souls that are surrendered to the Lord. They are striving to do his will. They are honoring him within their lives, but they are not, they're not moving into the dark night. They're not moving into what the Lord has for them in the next stage of their journey. Why not? Well, this is what he says. He says that they do not advance. Sometimes the reason is they do not want to enter the dark night. And that's, isn't that true? They don't want to enter. I mean, who wants to say, I'm going to leave behind comfort and ease and softness and satisfying the satisfaction of the flesh. I'm going to surrender uh, the, the fame, fortune, uh, power, money, uh, this stuff that brings me such satisfaction. I'm going to say no and deny and die to my will and to the gratification of, of my own will. I'm going to say absolutely just let's get rid of all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to enter the dark night or allow themselves to be placed in it. And you see, those are two different things. There are some who say, I won't go there. I just won't go there. But you know what they are willing to say? Lord, if you place me there, I'm open to it. I may not choose it, but I choose you. And if you choose this for me, then I will permit it. That's a really important move forward in the spiritual life. It's called docility. Docility is the willingness to be led, the willingness to be moved. And so even if we won't move ourselves into the dark night, can we allow, can we say, Lord, I'm open if you move me into the dark night? That would be a great gift. I encourage that. I encourage that prayer. We, we pray that prayer in our home, right? We pray that prayer, that the Holy Spirit prayer. And it's the thing, again, that my kids bristle at when they reach their tween and teen years in particular, because what they're saying yes to is the allowing themselves to be placed 
and yes, even a dark night, that, O oh, Holy Spirit prayer, O oh, Holy Spirit, soul of my soul, I adore you, enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, console me, tell me what I should do, give me your orders. I promise to submit myself to all that you ask of me, and I accept all that you permit to happen to me. Let me only know your will. Right? That, that's the meaty part of the prayer. So to let that take flesh in us, that, that's a gift. Pray for that gift. I know it's a bit scary, but pray for that gift. Okay, continuing on, why won't these people be uh, to go into the dark night? Well, sometimes they misunderstand themselves and are without suitable and alert directors who will show them the way to the summit. Do you know how sad that is? That's a really sad thing, and this theme shows up. This theme is the theme of not having sufficient spiritual fathering. He's going to refer to spiritual directors, and that really is talking about the life that these religious sisters and brothers have in priests that would have read this text. And I know there are some lay people who have a spiritual director, but St. John of the Cross talks about how few are the uh, real holy spiritual directors who are fulfilling that call in an abundant way. But souls don't advance in their own personal relationship with the Lord because they're not guided by others. Who can guide them? They don't have sufficient guidance to get there. That's so striking. It shows you just how much we're the communion of persons. It shows you how much we're the body of Christ. It shows you how much that we don't get to figure out this path all by ourselves and walk this path alone. No, it's something that the Lord is saying, I'm going to connect you to others, and you're going you're gonna to make it together, or you're not going to advance as far as you could. He says that God gives many souls the talent and grace for advancing, and should they desire to make the effort, they would arrive at this high state. And so it is sad to see them continue in their lowly method of communion with God because they do not want or know how to advance or because they receive no direction on breaking away from the methods of beginners. Oh, that's painful. That talk about a way of describing our age. All right, I'm up against a break. I've got one more reason why in a minute, and I'll tell it to you on Sound Insight. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So uh, where, I, where I left off, I was talking about the Ascent of Mount Carmel and how St. John of the Cross is reflecting on those particular souls who are very blessed, men and women of faith, women and men who experience tremendous blessings in their following of the Lord. But when the Lord invites them deeper out of love, and that inviting them deeper out of love is going to have them encounter the means of going deeper. The means of going deeper means dying to self. And in this instance, specifically, dying to certain desires, sensible appetites, these pulls and yearnings. And some souls just don't want to do it. They don't want to actively say, Lord, any desires that are in me, just rip them away, Lord, strip me of them. And, and neither are they willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to be led into the stripping, purifying process. Bring me into the furnace of your love and cleanse me of any evil desires. And the sadness is that there are many souls who don't get to that place because they're not taught well. They don't receive the direction that they need in order to be encouraged, supported, and have a standard presented to them that they can strive for. It's such an important part that spiritual leaders play in our lives because they can help us understand not only what's happening and where we're at right now, but where we're going where it is the Lord is calling us to, and how it is we can get there. So St. John of the Cross says, even if our Lord finally comes to their aid, those who are not receiving the direction they need to break away from the methods of beginners, even if the Lord finally comes to their aid, to the extent of making them advance without these helps, 
they reach the summit much later, expend more effort, and gain less merit because they do not willingly adapt themselves to God's work. Let me say that again, because even though he's writing this for an audience of religious brothers and sisters, the principle that was just shared right there is pure gold. They do not willingly adapt themselves to God's work. And that's something that we don't want to make sure is true of our lives. Lord, please help me to know those places in my life where I'm unwilling to adapt myself to your work. Lord, please help me to know, reveal to me, Lord, those places in my life, those ways that I'm living, the attitudes that I have that are not adapted to you, to you as my most important relationship, to you as my greatest love, to you as the one whom I desire to serve, and to the work that you want to do in my life. Well, the work that John of the Cross is talking about here is the work of God placing them on the pure and reliable road leading to union with him. That's what this ascent is all about. That the Lord is saying, I want to put you on this road. I'm going to lead you higher. And he says this, although God does lead them, since he can do so without their co cooperation, they do not accept his guidance. In resisting God who is conducting them, they make little progress and their merit is lessened because they do not apply their wills and as a result, they must endure greater suffering. Some souls, instead of abandoning themselves to God and cooperating with him, hamper him by their indiscreet activity or resistance. They resemble children who kick and cry and struggle to walk by themselves when their mothers want to carry them. Uh, uh, when their mothers want to carry them. In walking by themselves, they make no headway. Or if they do, it is at a child's pace. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> we get a vision for um, what our own spiritual lives can be like. You know, it's like, if we're going to really go deeper, if 2022 is going to be a year of going deeper into our relationship with God, then we better be ready to be humbled. To be humbled from the standpoint of thinking, you know, I considered myself pretty mature, pretty far advanced. I've been at this a long time. But then when I read John of the Cross, I'm like, not only am I not a proficient, but I'm one of those unwilling beginners. Those unwilling beginners. I'm like a little kid, a little baby, a little child kicking and crying and struggling to want to walk myself when the mom wants to pick up the child and can move so much faster and easier. It's like, thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to not let us simply go on in these false ways of thinking about our lives, these false ways of living our lives, and in revealing these things to us, revealing as well that you love us and you accept us right as we are, right where we are, and then we can trust you that Gosh, so often we think we can only trust the Lord when we're living upright lives because that's when he loves us. But when we fail and fall short, when we give in to temptations, when we settle for less, when we betray the Lord, that somehow he hates us because we feel ashamed and we're carrying the burden of that shame, of that guilt. And somehow we're, we're no longer acceptable to the Lord. The truth is that so many of us, let me just speak for myself, in reading John of the Cross over these last few days, 
I have been living with a degree of blindness. Even when I say I'm blind, even when I ask the Lord to reveal me of blindness, all of those statements, I think, now, I say from a standpoint of, wow, the Lord must be really proud of me for talking like that. <laughs> wow, I must be really advanced if I can even say things like that. Man, that's impressive, Tom. What an impressive guy. You're really a holy man. And now, it's like having those statements just be expressed exposed by St. John of the Cross. Just be like, shine that bright light that just says, Tom, do you have any idea how much your attitudes and behaviors are uh, are examples of a beginner in the spiritual life? Not someone who's advanced, but a beginner. That's what John of the Cross speaking through the centuries, through the Ascent of Mount Carmel, is saying to me, it's so humbling. And the funny thing is, is that it's like, it's the prayer being answered, the prayer that I prayed, Lord, Lord, reveal to me my blindness. Lord, I give you permission to humble me into a place where I honor you better. Lord, please strip me of my blindness and of those things that hold me back from being useful to you and being fruitful for your glory on earth. Those are the prayers I pray. Well, I did not, I didn't think that the Lord responding to those prayers would uh, would unveil to my heart, would unveil to my own life the, the ways that I am deficient rather than proficient in following the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for the gift of the Ascent of Mount Carmel. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of feeding me in a way that that I could receive, as humbling as it is. The last thing I'll read. With God's help, then, we, John of the Cross, shall propose doctrine and counsel for beginners and proficients that they may understand or at least know how to practice abandonment to God's guidance when he wants them to advance. There it is. All of that humbling, all of that exposure, all of that, wow, Lord, I had no idea, is not meant to leave me discouraged, but to put me back into that place of trustful surrender to divine providence abandonment to God's guidance. And so, Lord, I say, yes, please bring about in me an abandonment to your guidance and trustful surrender to your providence. Thank you, Lord. Please make it so. Amen. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.